Sir Valbert, if you want to brass, I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of the program, making his fortnightly appearance, or at least what I've often called a fortnightly appearance on the program, is the former Pirates beat reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review and also author of Big Data Baseball. He is currently a prolific contributor to Fangraphs.com. Is Travis Sachik. Travis Sachik is the guest. For the past few weeks, Travis Sachik has written on a number of occasions about the lack of free agent activity, the lack of activity on the free agent market. He has also speculated as to why that lack of activity might exist. I ask him to speculate further on the causes for that, ranging anything from simply the fact that teams share a lot of the same information and therefore probably have similar valuations of players to a conspiracy theory involving collusion and maybe a not-so-conspiracy theory involving collusion. We dwell at some length on negotiation, both the art and science of it, and why, because, of course, teams share similar valuations of players, why agents in particular might not have as much leverage in negotiations as they have in the past. We reflect briefly on Sachik's own poor negotiating capacities before also addressing uh, some of the services that agents actually might render. Uh, We ask Mostly what we do is we ask naive questions about and provide insufficient answers regarding the role of agents. Uh, uh, Their value to certain players, for example, maybe to certain younger international prospects uh, rather than others. And what falls, I also ask Travis to reflect upon and uh, perhaps bring us deep into the the definitive post he's written on the Pirates and the state of affairs at that club. Of course, uh, having written about the team for some time, he has a certain amount of expertise in this field. Uh, So all of these questions and and, uh, others... I, uh, are things that I ask him, and he attempts to provide answers. That's how things go here. Uh, we will get to that conversation momentarily, but first, it is both my pleasure and also uh, my duty, my obligation as an employee of Fangraphs, uh, to note that Fangraphs memberships exist for a reasonable sum. Readers of Fangraphs.com can support the excellent work that appears in those electronic pages. Uh, and for a slightly less reasonable sum, readers can acquire an ad-free membership, which allows them to browse Fangraphs.com without the tyranny of banner ads. The tyranny of banner ads not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the distortive effects of advertising. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership available at Fangraphs.com by then also clicking. Also, uh, it is uh, my pleasure and my obligation to remind everyone that the Harbaugh Times Annual has recently been published. It is not only online, available online. It is also free. Uh, so you can read posts uh, by, for example, your favorite, all of your favorite Fangraphs and Hardball Times readers and also the host of this program. So those are two types of people who have published pieces in the new Hardball Times annual. Okay, uh, th- this seems to be enough. Let us get on to the program. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? The prolific Travis Sachik. And when does it begin? Right now. It's a privilege, uh, even if it's not uh, if it's not technically every two weeks. Uh, I'm allowed to speak with you. Uh, it's a privilege every time. I feel uh, I feel liberated when I get on air with you, Travis. Uh, I can't believe we're paid to do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so enjoyable. What's your? Um... Oh wait, are we paid to do this? No, yeah, <laughs> or is this just a? Yeah. Anyways, yes, it's great to be back with you. We had a. We've gathered here to unionize. <laughs> The holidays, 
Dave, do you feel like Dave Cameron's feel... departure? I know some mm-hmm. some things that uh, put this off, but it's good to be reunited. Uh, do you could, do you feel like in our union negotiations with Fangraph CEO David Appleman? Do you feel as though we have incrementally conceded too much, such that now we possess uh, too little leverage? I think so. And uh, yeah. what hurts us is when we get 500 applicants uh, uh-huh. for, a, for a job opening. <laughs> uh, yeah. He sees the he sees the replacement potentials, and uh, he notes that some of them are like 14 years old. So he understands that uh, there's there's cheaper options out there. So there are cheaper options. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah I guess uh, I don't know. To what you understand, I, I have a feeling you understand uh, how the real world works a little bit better than I do. What? Yes. Um, how? Do, when? When people are employed in an office, for example, right? When they have an office job. Yes. I, I assume do do people tend to receive raises at a somewhat regular, somewhat regular uh, interval, intervals? Yeah, I mean, to where I've been employed, you usually have a a yearly review that's typically tied to around whenever your start date was, mm-hmm. and uh, usually if a raise is, <laughs> I've, of course, I've also been employed by newspapers where raises were. Put on hold for a while and, and frozen. But yeah, typically yeah. you'll get a raise after your review, as long as you've been uh, working in a satisfactory manner. Now, would that be would that typically be a cost of living adjustment? In my experience, it's yeah, it's like a usually <coughs> excuse me a three percent raise. I think typically okay. that's uh, what did you say? That's uh, I would say industry standard, but I suppose that suggests that there is a particular industry. I'm really thinking of. I really have no concept of what I mean by normal job, except that it's a thing adults do. It's what when I was a younger person, everyone's dad did, and I don't know what everyone's dad did, but <laughs> they all went someplace during the day. Um, and I yeah. don't know. I just they just all went there, and then they came back. They worked for growing up in Concord. I feel like a lot of people worked for a local distributor. There was a beer distributor nearby. There's just a bunch of dads who worked for distributors. Yeah. Okay. Or add a single distributor, and I and do you do you assume at a job like that, you work for a distributor, you would have a yearly review. I would I would think so. And you would and you think that, uh, on average, they would receive an employee would receive roughly a three percent raise. That's that would be my belief. That is my experience. And so I, for the American office work, let's let's treat what you're saying here as gospel. Which dovetails nicely with uh, the the motto of the state in which you live, um, which suggests to us that with God all things are possible. <laughs> so we'll, we'll, we will preserve that sentiment as we continue forward in this conversation. Hopefully, this is possible with God. If we assume that the that the what we have like a sort of generic American job, office job, receiving three percent raise, that is, it's a kind of well, it's different than arbitration, isn't it? It's it a, is. It's a kind really... of yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's it's different because it's a it's a roughly uh, it's, it's increased in regular intervals. There's no argument to be made, really. And I suppose that you, as a what as the employee, what sort of well, you have some leverage. I suppose you could leave. 
Yeah, I mean, that's my experience, that you really only have leverage. We have an opportunity to go elsewhere. You're never really rewarded. Say you have a great year, you're not going to get a... Typically, unless you get a title change, you're not going to get a significant raise. Everyone Mm -hmm. who meets the the basic demands of the job gets a 3% raise. Uh, Now, maybe I've been a terrible negotiator. (laughs) Do you have a sense of whether you're you're a good negotiator or not? I... I don't know. I think uh, I don't know that I'm a good negotiator. I think I'd be a good negotiator on behalf of other people, but I think negotiating for myself is more difficult. And is it because uh, because you're not talented? It's easier to negotiate when you're removing yourself from the situation, right? Which is one reason ball players some, should, even though, even though I've written my ball, my agents might be becoming increasingly uh, challenged in their duties. It's still probably a good reason to have an agent as a player because they're removing that emotional investment and tie-in and they're able to have a more sober uh, 30,000-foot view of the situation. Where if you're a player without an agent right now and you're one of all these unsigned guys as of January 23rd, uh, there might be a a certain level of anxiety creeping in and you might be willing to take uh, a significant cut in years and pay than you... Uh, initially, asked for November. I'm sorry to to hijack your podcast, but no, this is precisely yeah. why I have yeah. you on because oh. uh, we allow you uh, we allow your mind free reign. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so to answer your question, I don't know that I negotiate very well for myself. I'd be more comfortable uh, negotiating on behalf of other people. I'm sure that I would guess um, uh, from what I know of humanity. Um, I've not studied this in any sort of uh, formal sense. That um, one's capacity to essentially negotiate on his or her own behalf would be tied to a kind of personality type, maybe. <clears throat> My guess is that there are some people who might, for example, um, like I bet Kanye West, for example, is much better at negotiating on his own behalf <laughs> than on, the, on behalf of others, simply because he, I believe, he possesses um, a pretty a pretty high opinion of his talents. Um, where, which, uh, whereas, um, I suppose in particular in your case, as you note, you're, you, you've mentioned previously on, on this program, you're a simple Ohioan, Ohioan or Ohioan? Ohioan. Ohioan. (laughs) You're a simple Ohioan. And, uh, therefore it's possible that your modesty would make it more difficult for you to negotiate well on your own behalf. Yeah. I I think, yeah, personality plays a role. Mm-hmm. Also, leverage, I think, is is key, as we mentioned before. And it's in the media industry right now, really over the last – in the, the century, it's been – it's tough to create leverage. A lot of people are losing jobs. A lot of the industry is contracted. Uh, so you really have to – to create leverage, you have to have another opportunity, really. Uh, and that's that's really the only way to do it. It's tough to go into your your yearly performance review and ask for 10% when uh, – <laughs> the standard has been created where everybody gets three percent. Yeah, so so let me let me address that. Now I, I understand that this might be this might be painful for a bystander, this portion of the conversation. Because what we have really is one certified dummy, me, and then you another who <laughs> I think would would say, state fairly by yourself, this is not your area of expertise. Uh the art and science of human negotiations. Yes. Right? Uh, two, and it, two dummies. Two, two dummies. dummies. Two, two certified dummies. dummies. Um 
but allow me to allow me to f- to pull on this thread a little bit, right? Because <clears throat> we we're talking about leverage, and I, and I, I should note you wrote uh, within the last week. Um, you wrote a piece called "Maybe Agents Have No Leverage Either." Um, I think you used what the uh, Baker Mayfield uh, College Football's Heisman Trophy winner as an uh, as an entree into that conversation right. because what he, he he's elected not to uh, not to well, uh, what hire an agent, right? He was considered. I don't know if he's made a decision. I just okay. I, saw, I thought it was interesting that he was considering not hiring an agent. Okay, so. <clears throat> So we'll set sports aside for a moment right now. What, what is this, uh, but I think that what what I'm going to offer is somewhat instructive in helping us understand the difference between, I suppose, more traditional forms of employment and those for athletes. In the, in this generic office scenario that I have uh, suggested, right? I think I think it makes sense to get a raise. I think it makes sense for an employer to give a, an employee a raise because. Uh, if that employee is dissatisfied and looks for opportunities elsewhere, right, then there's a kind of cost. There are multiple sorts of costs associated with finding a new – finding a replacement for that position. As someone who's been employed in a – you know, um, in a, who's been uh, – worked in a certain role with a company for – a stretch of years has developed a sort of familiarity with it, and if he or she is performing that job competently, then has created has sort of distanced him or herself from replacement level, right? Sure. You'd have to train someone else to whoever fit in that job, and there would be a lot of uncertainty. Not a lot of uncertainty, but there would be some uncertainty attached. How does this new employee, um, you know, how does he, he or she get along with coworkers? Um, to what degree? Is that person, is this new employee able to, um, uh, you know, perform the job in a, in a very basic way? And then also there's like the cost of just going out and, you know, looking at applications, interviewing people. There's, I think there's some opportunity cost, right? Because instead of a, uh, instead of interviewing people for the job, uh, you know, you could be doing something else. So right. I, so that's, I think that must be one reason why these sorts of things exist, why raises exist, Right. To retain people, and if you're actually paying a little bit extra, it makes sense because um, you're not having to spend that same amount of money elsewhere. Those are all valid points. Thanks, Travis. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they're just kind of designed to keep you up with the cost of living. They're not really actual raises. I, th- I think that. Uh, what is inflation? Is it? Is it? You're, you're basically they they hire you at a certain salary, and. Unless you have a title change, you're just kind of keeping up with the inflation. Well, U.S. so U.S. inflation has been, I think, much lower than that recently. Lower than three percent. Um, it's been maybe like in the one to two percent area. And um, I cite for this the internet. That's my, that's my source. <laughs> uh, I don't know what your favorite site is uh, for that. Um, but but to your point, when I've because I've been at a company where there's been downturn and and uh, revenue capabilities and uh, raises stop and they cease to exist for a year or two, and that morale decreases. People become compelled to look for for other jobs elsewhere, and so there is a real cost in not compensating 
uh, and that allowed him for those raises. Well, and so that's so yeah. There's something to your point. There really is because it, because it w- not receive not not uh, giving a raise is like actually paying someone less, right? I mean that's because right. it's because it's a question of here are funds, right? It's the employer says here are some funds, and I understand that these funds can be translated into goods or services. But goods and services become more expensive. Indeed. Right. Anyways, apparently inflation's about. Have you been to the movies lately? <laughs> no, I haven't. I, I, I've wanted to on a number yeah, of occasions. Yeah, it's like it's like eleven dollars to go to a movie. It's kind of oh, crazy. Boy. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, yeah. I, I remember. When, I remember. I know you were telling me. You said I remember when they used to pay you to to, to buy milk and go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you mind if I open my beverage? Yeah, go for it. I think okay. we, I think the sound effect would be appreciated. Uh, a quoi? Oh, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is that how you I pronounce said, it? The, the yeah, sure. Water? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, official yeah. beverage sponsor of the Montreal Soccer Club. You wrote about leverage uh, in the context of baseball, naturally. Um uh, using this, uh, using this example from from college football, and I think that your your point was, hmm, if teams if teams have a a pretty narrow band, like for for any given player, if teams have a pretty narrow band, um, uh, of of what they'd be willing to compensate that player, then the utility of the agent decreases, right? Yes, that is precisely the the point I was trying to make. Yeah, that was your hypothesis. Yes. Uh, now, I would say on the one hand, um, here's here's one exception to it, right? Here's one one here's one little thing to um, to add to that conversation is now when we watch baseball, right, um, and we look at the stats a player produces, say a hitter in this case, we might see a hitter who has very uh, very consistent um, batting numbers each season to season, right? Right. But we also know, I think we know. That much of that a regular performance could be the product of constant adjustment. Do you, do you think that's a possibility? Hit, hitters, hitters are always having to adjustments to the, that the pitchers have made to them, right? Uh, yeah, we we hear that all the time. Uh, right. So, so so players, even if they're producing consistent stat lines, it's that they've had to make a number of adjustments. If they stopped adjusting, then their numbers would plummet. Even though they've retained what you might consider like the same basic set of skills, um, and same sort of basic talent level, it's that they because they've stopped making these adjustments, then things have gone down south. Maybe maybe such a phenomenon exists with agents. Well, you're saying maybe players don't need agents. Well, what if the prices that players have been receiving, whatever this sort of you know the rough uh, the generic dollar per war amount is. Maybe that's been a product of constant negotiation, and if if players were to enter the market without a free agent, like a player who stopped adjusting, a player who entered a, a free agency without a, a representative might see might see his uh, his earning power decline uh, in, in a corresponding fashion. Yes, and <laughs> to, to be perfectly clear, I'm not suggesting that agents should all go away and have no role. But that the power of negotiation and the, the ability to negotiate and be creative has diminished. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think to 
your point, even these war per dollar values are in part the product of how agents and teams have negotiated the dollars available. So, yeah, if you took an agent away, there is a risk for uh, to upset that equilibrium that exists. And also, as we were discussing earlier, uh, the, the agent also protects the player from getting t- too wrapped up in the uh, the emotion, the anxiety, the nervousness or exhilaration of the, the process. Um, right. And I think that's an important safeguard. So there's still roles to be had for an agent. I just... But I just think a lot of the art form of the deal has been stripped away, and uh, it's it's more scientific in how teams evaluate players. And even at Fangraphs, we have tools that show what a win is worth and infl- adjusting for inflation and creating multi-year deals. Uh, Sandy Alderson is it's noted at Fangraphs told report he was asked recently about why the market's been so slow and as we've hypothesized at Fangraphs and others have elsewhere Alderson said it's because teams are thinking the same way and have the same information and everyone's reading Fangraphs nice plug for us everyone's Mm -hmm. reading Fangraphs and other sites uh, yeah maybe it would be better if it was you know a different GM Game of a different team that was citing it, but I think your point is taken. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, yeah, there's something to that. So, how does an agent create value? And is that equilibrium you noted about the adjustments? Mm-hmm. Is that threatened too? Now that uh, we have what we believe are uh, more scientific understandings of what performance is worth. Let me let me ask you a question um, out of genuine. Curiosity. This is not a gotcha question, uh, Travis. Which is, from from your experience, and I know that you you have uh, you have many contacts in the game. You you know you were a newspaperman, um, <clears throat> so you uh, you have a lot of sources. What what other basic services do agents provide besides simply the negotiation of a contract? From your experience. Yeah, I think. So- it's for different levels of players. I was talking to Kylie about this, and he's he said uh, agents could be really important for uh, Latin American amateur prospects, and they do all sorts of things beyond just negotiate deals. They they help players uh, with all number of things that are just finding places to live, uh, setting them up with. Instructors and tutors for English. I mean, they do all sorts of things, and they right. they help players beyond uh, just negotiating deals. So they're, uh, I think, they might even be more important for 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 that level player. So yeah, agents do, and then the draft process. They are trying to find out what teams are serious about signing the clients, uh, and they're doing all sorts of behind the scenes thing. Which makes the draft a little bit different in baseball than, say, the NFL or NBA. So, yeah, agents have all sorts of other responsibilities. Uh, but I think I was just focusing on major league contracts for the purposes of this post. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but that's interesting, too. Uh, you mentioned the the import, maybe, of, uh, of an agent for uh, a younger Latin American player, someone who just out of sheer, um, you know, unfamiliarity with, with the culture um, – would benefit from greater uh, greater guidance and counsel in something, as you said, like finding a place to live or 
um, knowing knowing which foods are poisonous and not. <laughs> but they become a trusted, you know, confidant for for people. Right. Uh, so, especially if you're making a culture shift, yeah, it's important to have somebody you trust uh, beyond just negotiating deals. And you and I had a chance encounter with um, an agent whose whose name I will not invoke here um, at the winter meetings, uh, who was giving us a little bit of maybe information about the the practice, which I I gather is more common than I had really known, the practice of uh, stealing another agent's client. <laughs> this appears this appears to be a, a real a legitimate fear that especially less well established agents could have. Are you sure uh, I was with you for, for this conversation? You, you were there, but you—I mean—you were drinking a lot. <laughs> it needs to be said. Your eyes were rolling into the back of your head. I—I <clears throat> th- I believe you were there. Uh, per- perhaps it was another colleague, uh, because I was also drinking quite a bit, which is fine. It's all fine. The point is, though, that uh, this one agent uh, was, suge- was suggesting that he was concerned, for example, that uh, one or another of his of his own clients. Uh, might be swept up by a more prestigious um, firm, mm. um, which is which is very difficult for agents because, as you're probably aware, they don't really get any sort of payday until the player enters, I guess, enters arbitration, but really until he enters free agency. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, it's I mean it's kind of like when you go buy a house, right? You're Agent is your best friend until you show up at closing and you <laughs> thousands of dollars. So yeah, it's like that. It's they're working <laughs> on a long term play. It's a yeah, long, but it's a but long con. Have you ever heard about the situation of uh, agents stealing other other agents' um, players, clients? Sure, sure. That seems it seems quite dirty, doesn't it? Uh, or do you think it's do you think it's uh, um, as any number of characters from The Wire might suggest that it's part of the game. It seems like they should be negotiating stronger terms of client relationships. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's kind of dirty. Yeah. And I know it goes on. I've never really... It's, I don't know, it's not a concern of mine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so You're not sitting there worried? I'm not too worried about it. Okay, uh, all right, that's yeah. good. Well, I just I'm just trying to gauge your anxiety level. This is actually just a long, a long sort of uh, test to um, understand your anxiety. Well, it will end with a prescription uh, for for Paxil. <laughs> I, mean, just, I just have to figure out your dosage. Um, <clears throat> you're not allergic to Paxil, are you? From what you know, I don't think so. All right, uh, all right. Well, we could do but it. Yeah, I, a couple could, of, I could probably use an anxiety medicine. Sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> there are a couple of various. There's some, there's some that have a sort of. Uh, a constant release. Um, there's some, uh, but uh, f- unfortunately, Paxil still has the patent on that. It's still active, from best of my knowledge. So, we'll find something for you. Uh, moving on, but to it, to it, um, to a, a slightly different line of inquiry, but under the same umbrella, uh, same, within the same theme. Uh, with regard to that post that you that you invoked uh, a couple minutes ago um, regarding the, you, you discussed this today in this post about. Um, Sandy Alderson, Sandy Alderson's comments, right? He said something to the effect, I won't quote it at length, uh, but he, he essentially said that um, almost every organization has, or, most organizations have roughly the same information. And and it should be noted that not all of that information is proprietary. In fact, much of it isn't. 
It's at right. Fangraphs. It's at Baseball Prospectus, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, first of all, allow me to say um, I noticed th- this post was titled "The Slow Market Has Developed Quickly." I believe you originally titled it uh, "The Speed of the Slow Market." Um, did you have any grievances? None. Okay. <laughs> Good. Well done. Okay, fine. I actually I, w- I was considering to uh, I, I thought about titling it "The Slow Market Has Escalated Quickly," um, although I believe that would be a sort of a scant reference to Anchorman. <laughs> Are you familiar with that? After a fight scene, he says, oh, that escalated quickly. That really got out of hand. Yeah, I believe I've watched the film once. So, yeah, that seems seems familiar. Would you have preferred escalated quickly? The slow market is escalated quickly or is developed quickly? Uh Yeah, escalated would be – that's a nice ring to it. You would have preferred that. (laughs) But I, I don't know. It would have been an Anchorman reference. I, I, yeah. I, I attempt not to uh, refer to thir- to um, other documents, texts when I do this. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> Originality is good. Okay. Yeah, right. That, that, it is, yeah. Yeah. Here, here, so here's a question, right? If in, in theory, if every team, you know, Brewers, Twins, Dodgers, whatever, if they know, for example, what their valuation of uh, J.D. Martinez is, and it's not the same for every team because I think Kylie McDaniel noted this recently in a post. Like, the A's are not going to sign or trade for Clayton Kershaw because Clayton Kershaw's salary would represent like a quarter of their payroll. So they just it's it's you know it's basically impossible for them to employ someone like Clayton Kershaw who's already making these free agents for a dollar. Well, that's what the teams would like us to believe. But okay. that's, a, that's a post for another day. No, it is a post for another time. Yeah. And actually, uh, I just published today or last night a, um, a podcast episode with Eric Loganagen, and he, um, who is a very reasonable person, I believe you met him during our uh, our trip to the winter meetings. <clears throat> I did. We we uh, we dined together. Yeah, we, right. We broke and, bread and together. He, he's very he's a very reasonable person too, not unlike yourself. And but he. Uh, I had mentioned maybe something offhand about the the pirates budget and he he was not he was not thrilled uh with uh, this with the suggestion that the pirates could not afford x or y player. He said they all the owners they can all afford it. Yeah, it's I just a question of how much they choose to spend. Yes, I think we've all been conditioned to believe or accept the owners claims to some degree. Right. Uh, and while even if it's not technically collusion it seems like all of the owners, I, I suppose, just by virtue of the, of the, um, let's see, by virtue of the uh, the luxury tax, right? Like there is kind of like an agreed upon uh, threshold that they won't they won't transcend. Um, yeah, man, it's players' union. Well, yeah, <laughs> we, we can get to that in a moment. We've been there's been quite a bit of discussion on in the electronic pages recently about the players' union. Um, here's what I wanted to post to you. If generally speaking, if say there are at least – there's no fewer than five teams interested in J.D. Martinez's services. If every team has basically the same valuation of J.D. Martinez over, what, five, six, maybe seven years, <clears throat> what if – what if we – what if instead – the leagues and the league and the players somehow decided to lean into that. If we, if, if they, if they said, okay, this player is probably going to be worth this many wins over um, this many years, right? 
and say, like, here is his generic contract. And it, and a team essentially has to be either the first to agree to it and say, oh, yes, we will take that. We will, bing, we'll, like, hit the, they hit, they hit the button. We'll pay that much, right? What would, how, how, how does this strike you, right? And say, and say it now, expand it. Now expand it to every player in the league. Somehow, based, either based on the player's recent performances or his projected performances and a sort of a rough estimate of dollars per win in the league that is, that increases with inflation at a somewhat regular rate. Maybe you could, what, pin it to, um, one of the inflation indices um, to which other, uh, you know, like policy uh, legislation, for example, sometimes pin. Uh, what do you, what would you think about that? Where all of the salaries are essentially published b- before they're even agreed upon, and teams just have to agree to the amounts. Hmm. Well, this sort of exists in the NBA, right, where there is a max contract. And there is a, uh, there's certain exemption levels. So certain tiers of players kind of had, they already have, uh, kind of, they know what their salary is going to be, basically. Uh, Can I ask a, a naive question then? Yeah. Is that how do, um, how do players choose which teams they'll be playing for? Well, lately they've been joining up with the best teams <laughs> and creating super teams. Uh, now, there is the bird exemption where if you stay with your team, they have the ability to offer you more money than the open market. Uh, oh, okay. But to retain like a max actually, deal, yeah. if, say, LeBron's going to leave the Cavs after a season, he can sign the same max contract. He knows what his deal will be. I mean, he can negotiate the years, I guess, but the actual, the, the annual payment is already kind of predetermined. Uh, so that sort of exists in the NBA. And I guess the problem is with your what happens if no team ever agrees to meet that uh, determined value? The player just – can he lower his demands? Yeah, I wonder if like maybe each day of the offseason or each week it would uh, essentially decline. The asking price would decline by a certain amount. But this this hypothesis, this hypothetical you're putting out there, I think it's kind of and it's sort of what is going on. Where right, well, uh, yeah, so so we accidentally <laughs> run into that. Yeah, okay, that's sort of what's happening. And uh, I've cited that Royals Review uh, post that was written. I think that Max after R- Riper, Max Reaper or Riper. Yeah, he did an interesting study off of our own Fangraphs crowdsourcing uh, from 13 to 17. So. Uh, what, five years? And he found that up to January 1st, the crowd, the average, I think, uh, prediction was 4% uh, less than the actual contract dollar sign, uh, which is pretty accurate. But after January 1st, the crowd uh, was 25%, uh, or, I'm sorry, above. 4% and 25% above. So... Yeah. After the new year, the contract demands gradually, as spring training gets closer, the contract demands gradually decrease. And I've cited that anecdote, uh, 
with David Fries, where I was covering the Pirates back in 2016. And uh, this was a guy with pedigree. He was uh, he's a World Series MVP. Uh, he was coming off a number of good seasons. He was coming off a credit. Coming off a two-win season, still a very capable, capable major league player. Number of good seasons. He wasn't ancient. I think he was entering its age 32 or 33 season. Uh, and he had asked for a multi-year deal with above 10 million in annual average value. And he ended up signing in March for you know, one year and three million dollars. So I think that kind of shows you the, as you mentioned, uh, with each day that passes, the asking price goes down. We, we saw that with Freeze. Uh, and we, we're going to see that with more players this year, as we have, uh, you know, January twenty third, twenty seventeen, the top nineteen players on Dave Cameron's top fifty free agent list had all signed. A year later, eight have signed, and we're going to see demands and asking prices go down, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see the final tally. Yeah, it, it, there is like there is this sort of sense. Uh, well, we had our Fangraphs staff meeting yesterday, and uh, uh, David Alvman, CEO, Dark Overlord, benevolent dictator, <laughs> however you want to uh, characterize him. He has, um, <clears throat> he, you know, he was like, "So, uh, how did it go? You know, how have things been in particular because of uh, so, you know since the departure of Dave Cameron, um, who is a sort of uh, metronome or." Uh, North Star uh, for us in terms of guiding content. Um, but I think that there was a – well, there, there were sort of two uh, over, uh, predominant sentiments. One was that many people have not signed, and there seemed to be a wave ahead of us, right? Um, I, I mean, I guess it's it's unfolded because it's un, – you know, some free agents obviously have signed, uh, so it will not be all at once. But there are still a number of players – who have not found homes. The other one was that uh, it really enabled us to cover the uh, Pirates 2 trades in considerable depth. <laughs> we had a Pirates week. We really uh, had a, and accidentally had a Pirates week. Um, and actually, I probably want to ask you about that momentarily. But, um, but right, yeah, it, uh, we were delayed. Now, I think that you, you, you cited um, an interesting piece of data in your, uh, your post from today, which was that February signings, have increased over each of the last three off seasons, and it, and it appears uh, set to um, increase again. I think there were what, 65 last year or something. 65, and that was yeah. – I'd written another post about this earlier in the month, mm-hmm. and I don't know what I did with the data, <laughs> but I believe it was the fr- – I'd gone through all the, the signings on the transaction page, and it, I think that's the highest – last year was the highest February total in a decade, and it's a three-year increase and it's going to be surpassed substantially this year unless there's an amazing flurry of activity in the next eight days. Yeah, next last week of January. Uh, now, when you, when you say signing, it just mean like anyone signed to a major league contract? What were your, what were your criteria? I think these were all major league deals. Uh, they yeah. weren't minor league deals. Yeah. That makes sense. Hmm. So you don't, like, you, you're not, you don't necessarily think that there's much better, at least from the player's side, I guess, uh, for this sort of uh, prescriptive – Prescriptive salary. I'm not suggesting that it's a good idea either. I just thought, <laughs> thought it might represent an interesting thought experiment, given the fact that perhaps that's uh, almost tacitly what exists right now. I, th- I think it's interesting. I just think the player would need the ability to uh, to lower demands. 
sort of like when you list a, a home, that initial price is important because you can't increase the listing price as easily as you can uh, decrease the listing price. Yeah. If Rare like, that you – I suppose there are some markets where you don't necessarily I, – yeah, I suppose it's never up to the owner, right, to increase the listing price. It's always up to um, the amount of interest that the property generates, right? Whereas if you have multiple bidders I, – I remember I had some friends who thought they were going to um, buy some sort of apartment in Brooklyn. They were they were renting one, and they were thought, well, perhaps we'll try it. But they would show up to an open house – and uh, this, uh, the apartment would have already been purchased by the time they arrive. Someone would just come in like <laughs> – I mean literally with like a briefcase of money. Yeah. And be like, here, this is mine now because just because the, the, because the, the uh, property was so sought after. And uh, frequently those deals – frequently those houses were sold for more than less price. But I would guess – and again, I defer to you because you seem to understand the world a bit better than I do. But um, – Perhaps there's uh, less frequently uh, the case that uh, a bidding war erupts over a house in, like, Sheboygan. Sheboygan? Yeah, but, you know, even on the west side of Cleveland, <laughs> when I was home shopping the summer, yeah. every, almost everything was going above list. Oh, and there, okay. were, there were multiple offers, and uh, so there's a real art form of negoti- negotiation here, and it was... Uh, well, can, can, will you share your strategy though? Because while we're talking about <clears throat> negotiations for players, I, I'm interested in just the, the the concept of negotiating in general because I don't think that I'm particularly good at it. Um, yeah, I mean, what was I mean, your strategy for? It, it was difficult because homes were going over. We'd already lost out on one home that went. We had gone ten percent above the ask price. We lost it. Okay. So that was the backdrop under which like, we're negotiating. Like, wow, if you really want something, you have to be really aggressive. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, the house we did purchase, I asked my agent for the last 100 home sales or something in Bay Village, Ohio. And I looked at the average sales price against the list price, and it was like 99%. So to craft this offer, I went a little b- above list. Mm-hmm. For the home we did purchase, knowing that it was unlikely, uh, if you made a weaker offer, you'd probably get outbid. If you went too far below, uh, assuming you're not bidding on a, uh, a house that needs a lot of renovation and remodeling, so that's how I went about it. But it was, you don't know. Maybe we weren't negotiating against anyone. I don't really know what happened. I did just you, know we, did you? I just know we bought the house. Did your real estate <laughs> agent send you that data in the form of a spreadsheet? She did, yeah. Oh, that's very uh, helpful. Yeah. And she suggested uh, not going as high with the offer that we did, but I was afraid of losing the house. Uh, so I – and I actually I made this offer without ever stepping inside the house because we were at Saber Seminar. Well, you weren't, but the rest of Fangraphs oh, that, was. Well, that's, there's so much yeah. drama there, Travis. Yeah. And uh, – yeah, so we looked at a couple houses, and they're all going, uh, you know, overbid. And before we, so I was out of town, and we found this location we, we really wanted. And uh, my wife really liked the house, and she's afraid we we're going to lose it. So we had to make a decision whether to bid on it without me ever stepping. Now, did your the wife house. visit the house? She did. 
Oh, she did. Okay. Yeah, and right. my parents did, and they all liked it. Uh, and the location was the best we'd seen. So I think I signed the e-documents for the offer, and like I was boarding a flight or waiting, you know, why we could still use our electronic devices. So it was a crazy negotiation period, and that's why I do have to to bring this back to baseball. Mm-hmm. The agent will always have a role in, I think, managing a player's emotions and giving them information uh, and educating them on the marketplace. So there's always going to be roles, but yeah, the ability to really s- oversell and get a have a club make a ridiculous offer uh, way above market, that's tougher. And that's why we've seen Scott Boris do the end around and other agents where they try to bypass these uh, the front offices with their with all their logic and reason and data <laughs> and appeal to the uh, owner who might be more emotional uh, and is very wealthy and appeal directly to them and uh, I'm not sure where I'm going with that but that's where I'm that's where I'm you could do, the point. You know, I, I, I want to tell you something that I would read it's a text that does not exist so far as I oh, okay. so far as I know. Uh, I would read a piece or series uh, by Travis Sotrick, written by Travis Sotrick, mm. on the, um, <clears throat> I guess, on the uh, the mechanics the... of being an agent. Mm-hmm. I would like, I would be interested in seeing you maybe embedded with it with a player representative. That could be interesting. I would be interested. I mean, you, you'd be you'd be more qualified to do it than most people I know. Um, of course, I, d- I don't want to put undue stress on you, you know. Uh, but uh, it wouldn't even have to be that. Be, but um, it, it it does seem to be a now, uh, a part of the game, which relative to its importance, um, seems to seems to be under a cover undercovered. You know. I think that's true. We don't we really know. Under- even for how tight lipped they are. We certainly understand how. How uh, baseball? We have some idea of how baseball fr- front offices uh, function, and you know their process for for evaluating players and valuating players. Um, I think we understand even from the we understand, for example, how players adjust in terms of their on-field skills. But I, I feel that the um, the process for agents, I suppose, with the you know the very sort of uh, theatrical presentations of uh, Scott Boris like I feel like it's it's somewhat opaque that world yeah we this isn't a bad idea all right I mean I'm just yeah maybe, maybe I should call Mr. Boris <laughs> you could do Boris or you could do it'd be interesting you know also to maybe consider someone who's uh, scraping by maybe maybe just has a, a couple notable clients um, here's an interesting model I was uh, I have a fantasy Right, it's not a dirty fantasy, Travis. So I feel comfortable sharing <laughs> with you and with the public. But I have a fantasy of one day opening um, with my wife, for example, a kind of a what you might call a bottle shop, right? Okay. Uh, something that would sell beer and wine, and maybe other uh, goods that uh, at least I consider uh, necessary for survival, right? Um, so maybe uh, you know, maybe coffee. Okay. And uh, and bread, you know, this sort of thing. I think it'd be adorable. I think it could be profitable at some point. 
That's sort of shot. This could damage your relationship with uh, Cafe Crumb. No, we would. Uh, we would. No, no. We would. <laughs> I, I've considered this at some length, much, much more length than uh, than the topic requires. <clears throat> it would be a symbiotic relationship. Okay. Yeah, we would not be sell. We would just be selling retail takeaway stuff. Yeah, don't worry. Um, I have not approached uh, our local chamber of commerce or Main Street Bath about it yet, but. But but be prepared for that, you know, in the future, Travis. But I thought so. Uh, so one thing you need to do is you need to establish a relationship with distributors in order to carry your product, which is which is uh, or to carry you know various products, which becomes even more important and a bit more fragile if your interest is in um, stocking items that are perhaps not the sort that you'd be able to find at the supermarket, right? Um, I mean, you've probably noticed this. I certainly have. I, I kind of noticed it in a very vague way until I started thinking about it. Um, head on, which is that I'd be like, oh, you know, like um, there's always Goose Island uh, at this, at all the gas stations, or there's always, um, we have one, a, a beer, and there's a beer from Vermont called Woodstock Inn. So like, their brown ale is available at every gas station I go to, but it's because, you know, for whatever reason, this um, brewery, Woodstock Inn, has somehow managed to have their product uh, carried by a major distributors in the area, right? And so you can always find it. Um, <clears throat> there's one beer, very quite popular beer, that's brewed in Portland, Maine. Um, it's called Bissell Brothers. Okay. Okay. Bissell Brothers. You're familiar with Portland, Maine. You visited here. You visited your friend David. I have. Yeah. I I really enjoyed my experience. I've been to Portland a few times. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's a, yeah. it's a nice, it's a very nice town. It's a little pricey for. <clears throat> web log, internet web bloggers, but it's, it's okay for some people. Um, so Bissell, so Bissell Brothers has, uh, I, I, I may not have the story entirely correct, but I believe it's a former employee who became a distributor and he's a distributor for only one label and that's Bissell Brothers. Hmm. It's a weird model, right? Hmm. It's like if you were the agent, if you were the agent for just one player, and I'm sure that there are a number of examples that, that, I ought to know, but don't at this point. But it is an interesting model, right, where you just have one sort of, uh, I suppose you might say, like special interest item or boutique item and a, uh, a sought-after one at that point, at that level too, or to, you know, to that degree. Um, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if that's the most popular. I mean, it seems like, you know, for example, Scott Boris, his agency has many clients, right? Um, and it, yes, and there are some... Agents of fewer clients, and mm-hmm. uh, I know there's an some agents, some larger scale agents will tell you you don't want to sign with a smaller shop because they are going to be more interested in signing more quickly to ensure they get paid, uh, and they might be mm-hmm. uh, willing to sign a more club friendly deal with a younger player, uh, whereas someone like Boris, I don't think he has financial concerns. I think he's probably able to pay his bills. <laughs> so, like the player, so we've seen this before, right? Players who receive larger bonuses uh, when they sign as amateurs, they tend to be less. I mean, Bryce Harper, for example, right? Tend to be they tend to be less likely to sign extensions. Yes, because they've already, you know, not that, uh, not not that Bryce Harper's bonus from when he was an amateur um, compares at all to the amount that he's likely to make uh, as a free agent next off season. However, there is a lot of um, 
there, there's a big difference between zero and I forget what his bonus was. Right. It was like 10, 10 million I'll, or something like that. I'll look it up on my smartphone. Oh yeah, okay. Go yeah, go ahead and look at his bonus. But it's enough money to uh, he's probably very comfortable. Like right. there's nothing he wants for, right? I mean, I guess you can always have a bigger house and a bigger boat and a bigger entourage. I think but, he has like he has like um, like he can afford milk. He can afford milk. That. If he yeah. wants yeah, a new pair right. of whatever jeans, he can probably afford them. Right. Uh, bonus was various sundry goods, I'm sure. But um, but yeah, so so he's more free to do that. And what you're suggesting is that maybe an, an agency that's depending on uh, a, uh, that has a, a smaller um, stable of clients might be more inclined simply to get whatever deal is uh, they they would be risk averse, right? <clears throat> because um, they would want to sign deals as soon as possible, right? Although in this market, maybe it made more, you would be rewarded for acting more quickly. Uh, like Jay Bruce, he I know he was originally asking for what five years and ninety million, mm-hmm. but right now his three year thirty nine million dollar deal looks pretty good because there's. Similar bats who are unsigned and might take even fewer dollars in years. Yeah. So it's weird. Like patience used to be, I think Boris was often rewarded for it. Uh, now this year, I don't know. He's there's a lot of unsigned Boris clients right now. Mm-hmm. What would you do? What would you do if if you were gonna? How would you go about um, embedding yourself in an agency? Writing like a, a day in the life of, or like a weekend or off season. What would you do? How'd you go about that? I, I would go reach out to agents I know and uh, tell them what I'm trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. and maybe explain how it could be beneficial in some way to them, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, see if anyone bites, see if anyone's interested. Do you think you title your book Fire Fire and Fury? <laughs> <laughs> that, I think that's taken, but that's uh, taken. All right. yeah, I'm, something's in that vein. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. You would just be there. You'd be a you'd be a a proverbial fly on a an equally proverbial wall. Isn't that right? Yeah, uh, yeah. but you'd have to find someone who had the motivation, interest, and. Having you involved, and also, like, would clubs want their? They probably don't want their negotiation practices and things out there. So you'd probably have to protect teams. Parties, yeah. yeah, so it'd, it'd be very interesting. I agree with you. Hey, I'm going to say I'm going to describe someone to you, and you tell me his name. Okay. A a beloved Cleveland-based um, sports writer um who's written a number of uh a number of books uh, sort of a, especially about baseball and basketball you say his name now <laughs> say his name now yeah uh yeah. baseball and basketball hmm he's cleveland based or he's from cleveland yeah cleveland based i think hmm. hmm what do you think about that baseball and basketball he's written about baseball and basketball Hmm. I don't. Who is that? I don't know. It, it's. <laughs> I don't know the answer. Maybe he writes about religion sometimes too. Does that help? Oh, Terry Terry Pluto. Yeah, Terry Pluto. Yeah, he writes a lot of books. Yeah. Okay, right. So we're on the yeah. same page. Yeah, he also Terry, has a week. He has a religious column. 
Yeah. So yeah, so that's what religion, I was getting. A religion column. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know who this guy is. <laughs> I. Uh, you I, know, I he, read... he once referred to our website as a, he cited it in his newspaper column as a yeah. thing called Fangraphs. <laughs> a thing. Did you, did you sense there was derision in that? <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah. yeah. He has a great book though, um, which I would. I mean, I. Listen, I'm not suggesting it to anybody because there's nothing really more miserable than being suggested a book. However, I something that I was happy to have read, okay, okay, which I'll say that. It's a book that he wrote in the mid-80s called A Baseball Winter. Oh, a Baseball wow. Winter, it's called The Off-Season Life of the Summer Game. And he documents negotiations, in particular at the winter meeting, I believe, is – I don't remember everything, but I remember one at one point um, there was a there, there was a very uh, pretty careful account or um, in depth account of the signing of a uh, of Bruce Souter, I guess by the Atlanta Braves, um, and just the amount of money that I think at that point it was Ted Turner throwing uh, in the direction of Souter, and there was uh, and Turner spending on other people as well, and then there was one other story. It's like. It wasn't the Phillies GM, but it was a member of the Phillies front office who, like, didn't show up to a meeting because he was drunk. And then the player whom they were pursuing was signed by another team uh, because oh. he hadn't heard from the Phillies. Um, it's really how baseball ought to be. Uh, I mean, it really is. This was it's, a different time. Uh-oh. Yeah, it's not It's not necessarily how – it was not – if if your interest is in having the game run efficiently, you know <laughs> – then this was not it. However, <laughs> if you wanted to run it the way that would uh, most lend itself to uh, to coverage in a sort of like season or off season with, um, I'd say that's actually probably one of my favorite, or at least it has been one of my favorite genre of books, the season with or or off season with. Um, the, yeah. like the book about the Suns was like seven seconds or less. It was also quite good. Not by Terry Pluto, but I like being embedded with the going behind the curtain. Yeah. And some access, yeah. Sorry, that was yeah, like I, I, McCallum. Yeah, I enjoy those. Yeah. I think teams are more and more hesitant to give up, to grant access. Yeah. They don't want to give up any proprietary secrets. Yeah. Although there's, you know, everyone has the same information, so are there really secrets? Are there really secrets? <laughs> I'm sure there are, but uh, it's, it, it is interesting. Yeah. I would, yeah. In any case, I would. Any anything you had to provide? I mean, this is not an editorial meeting. However, anything that you, you could, uh, any sort of information you could provide about uh, the real life of, of of player representatives would be um, would be welcome from from this reader at least. You know what's going to happen is someone is going to write a best selling book off this idea, but it will be neither of us. It'll be someone who listens to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, and you don't think we have a chance of getting? Uh, can we cite? The podcast is uh, proof of. <laughs> but isn't it that, that sort of text anyway? Isn't it all about uh, execution? I mean, the, the idea is great, but it's the work. The work is miserable, isn't it? I mean, you wrote a book, isn't it terrible? At times, yeah, it's pretty miserable. Yeah, uh, I mean, if something is terrible at times, that means it's terrible. It's terrible. I. Yeah. I mean, having cancer, enough... for example, is like. It's terrible at times. Like, not every second with cancer is miserable, you know. Um, but like that, the the like the day or whatever after you've had chemotherapy is like the worst. So if you say, "Yeah, was it terrible?" Yeah, it was terrible times. 
Yeah. But yeah, that's that means it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that's what terrible is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I have to right. I have to ask you. I mean, the the, the question I want to ask is um, somewhat r- related to your uh, to that book you wrote. Your expertise would seem having been embedded to some degree with the club, right? Um, or at least a uh, an informed observer of the club. Um, and uh, then what? You answer. You answer. Say 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 something, Travis. Yeah, I wasn't embedded, but I was around. I was around the club. Right. Uh, but, I, but I didn't have special behind-the-scenes access, really, right. mm-hmm. other than interviews. But you wrote, as sort of an extension of your familiarity with the club, not just from writing that book, but also from having served as a Pirates Beaver for, uh, for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review, uh, uh, you wrote what I think could be regarded as the definitive the definitive Pirates post, How the Pirates Got Here, uh, this last week at Fangraphs.com. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I did write that post. I think an interested reader said I could just imagine Travis Sochik leaning back, cracking his knuckles, and saying, "I will now write the definitive <laughs> post on the on the." Uh, that was Rob Maines. Right. Baseball prospectus is Rob Maines. Yeah, that was oh, pretty okay. funny. Yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah, sir. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I didn't. Uh, you know, uh, social media. I don't. I'm not going to stop and get to know everybody. <laughs> but uh, ever thought it was a very funny comment, and uh, he deserves all of the uh, all the recognition. It was funny. Before. Yeah. And I see that Rob Maines in one of his most recent posts cites um, uh, he, he cites uh, he cites uh, sorry Ralph Waldo Emerson. So he oh. deserves, yeah. So he so it's, he's uh, coming up he's coming, he's coming up roses on this edition of Fangraphs <laughs> Audio. Uh, but continue please uh, with uh, so t- so was that was that how you approached it? You said hmm, this is it time for time for Sawcheck to get involved. Well, I thought it was appropriate. Given that I'd spent some time around the club, mm-hmm. that at, during Pirates Week at Fangraphs, I should weigh in yeah. and offer the knowledge, however limited or deep that I have, to our readership. Yeah. And I didn't think it was. Did, you know, when you, as you were composing it, did you think I'm really giving them a gift? <laughs> uh, I was thinking about how could I add a tip jar to this post. But, this uh, tr- <laughs> I would have liked to see that you attempt that. No, but if you, but I am thinking about a reader. If you, if someone is around a situation and has some level of knowledge, I would like to at least hear their thoughts. Uh, especially at a time like this, when the pirates are breaking up this these, this core that had been a big part of their success from thirteen to fifteen. Yeah, well, you know what's happening? Why is this happening? What's what's gone wrong here? Uh, even if you like the return for those deals in those deals. It's still kind of a symbol, symbolic uh, ending of one era and transitioning to something else. Right, and you were there to um, you were there to document it, document not only the the actual events, but also to document what uh, the events in your mind, your th- your thought events. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, I I was there to document the best I could, as truthfully as I could. Uh, yeah, the pirates, they have, the, they're in kind of a challenging place. Well, I, tell me, tell me the, uh, you don't have to tell me Travis Sochik's thoughts on owner Bob Nutting, but could you please maybe, could you please maybe characterize 
the sentiments other people have about him. <laughs> he's, he's not very popular in Pittsburgh. And uh, I don't know if you're aware that uh, Jeff Sullivan, uh, did, he uh, published his uh, ownership poll results. And the Pirates were, Bob Nutting was the fourth least popular owner in baseball. And I think the change from 2016 to 2018, the Pirates ownership group by far had the most negative change. Uh, so it, their proof exists on our very own website that Pirates ownership is not very popular. Uh, and that the perception of this, the shedding and breaking up of this core, uh, it's it's not helped boost the uh, the perception of the ownership group. Is it that is it that the, they haven't spent overall, or maybe this is this question is maybe it's the same same thing? Is it that they refute that they did not capitalize off of the solid core that they had established? Is that I mean is that the real grievance? Do you think the yeah I, yeah I think that's a large part of it, and you know they're pay, they're spending. Uh, never got out of the bottom. I think the, they never really increased relative spending. Like, mm-hmm. I think their greatest payroll ranking was 21st in baseball during that during the 15, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they never really added to the core. And I guess to be fair to Pirates ownership, a lot of things have gone wrong. Uh, core members like McCutcheon and Cole have not uh, Starley Marte, Jung Ho Gong, uh, these guys have either not been on the field lately or they've not been as productive as expected when they are on the field. Uh, kind of the, they were on the cutting edge of the analytical movement in 13, 14. The rest of the industry is caught up with them in regard to things like pitch framing and, uh, shifts and sequencing and spiking ground ball rate. So, uh, you know, the drafts haven't been as productive as they'd, they've, they'd hoped, especially like those 2009, 2010 drafts. So a lot of things have gone on, uh, to put them in this situation. And even if they'd spent, you know, signed someone to a nine figure deal, they'd probably still wouldn't have been a playoff team, you know, last year. So, yeah. uh, a lot of things have caused the Pirates' fortunes to decline. But the spending, like the commitment, I think the, the Pirate, Fan base doesn't see commitment from ownership. They never was saw there one it. moment. Was there one uh, player who, whom they could have signed but uh, ultimately didn't? Was there a turning point? To hmm. One, one person, uh, one player. I don't know that there's one player that they. It's, is there one? I think it's an accumulation of grievances. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you think of their greatest uh would be a great name for a great name for a book <laughs> an accumulation of grievances <laughs> yeah uh but yeah they're they're when they signed Luriano to a three year thirty nine million free agent deal after two thousand fourteen that remains the largest commitment to a free agent in uh franchise history, yeah, so that doesn't really scream out a commitment from ownership, especially when there's uh the the MLB BAM sale and the the payments from that and revenue sharing and the increase of franchise values it just doesn't seem like there's a uh, an an interest from ownership to really go the extra mile and build around that core uh, fill in voids through free agency. Hmm. It's too bad he feels that way. 
Yeah, I, I understand that as from the fan perspective. You want the owner to care like you care. And you want them uh, to maybe spend a little bit more than they're comfortable with. Uh, because this isn't just selling a widget. The city name is on the jersey. And there is a civic tie-in to this. It is not just a... Uh, it's not just a company. Cameron, uh, uh, Dave Cameron, uh, erstwhile managing editor of Fangrass.com, he would uh, said that there is uh, uh, that uh, he used the word steward. He said owners are generally expected by their markets to be, or not. I don't know if markets the correct word. Markets or fan bases or region, regional people with regional interest to serve as stewards of ball clubs. Organizations. Yeah, I think that's a that's a yeah. fair and valid point. Yeah, fair, fair a good la- I think that's a good label. That's what we expect, right? As a fan. Yeah. Hey, uh, it uh, you have uh, fulfilled your obligation to Fangraphs Audio. What do you think about that? I am pleased to have served. Um, a couple <laughs> things have come out of this. One of them is you have given me the title for my next book. Oh, excellent! An accumulation of grievances, <laughs> or something, some something like that. I think that's a great title. I think you're going to nail this book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other one is do you, any um, um, any um, any ideas for what this this uh, edition of the program could be titled? If you don't have any, that's fine. Oh, maybe an accumulation of grievances. Yeah, that's, yeah maybe that's possible. I, I think I just said that, Travis. <laughs> He's going to use it for something else. Um, I like to put your name in there, Travis Sochik. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Let me get back to you on that. Yeah, all right. Why don't you, uh, hey, why don't you send me a message via Slack, our internal message board? Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to stop this. I'm going to look at my son who's crying. I'm going to edit a post by Craig Edwards, and then maybe edit a post by uh, Travis Sochik as well. Yes. And then uh, go to bed, probably. <laughs> the sun sets early in Maine. It does. It does. Hey. Hey, attend to your son. A real pleasure, Travis Hodges. You fulfilled your obligation. Thank you so much, Travis Hodges. Great to be with you. That has been uh, former Pirates Beat reporter, current prolific contributor to Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm